We turn our attention now to Megillas Esther Perik Hay, Chapter 5. The Jewish people, of course, are fasting on behalf of Esther. Esther and her maidservants are fasting as well. Everyone is praying for the success of Esther's intervention with the king. Intervening carries with it great, great risk. On the third day of the fast, if you figure it out, this is the first day of Pesach. In this year, a suspended, a, a uh, cancelled Pesach. Esther dons herself, clothes herself with royal clothing. And she stands there in the courtyard, the inner courtyard of the king, Nochach Beis HaMelech, just opposite the king's royal room. The king is sitting upon his throne in that inner room, Nochach Pesach Aboyas, he's facing the door. She enters, she faces him, and he sees her. Chazal, of course, see always beneath the surface and the simple meaning of these psukim a much deeper inner spiritual meaning. And the Gemara Megillah says, Vatilbash Esther Malchus She became clothed, she became bedecked, she became surrounded with Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? She stood. Zohar HaKodesh says, Vata'amod ein amido elo. Tefila. She stood and she prayed. Nochach Beis HaMelech, which king's house was she facing? Nochach Beis HaMikdosh. She was facing the temple. Physically, she was facing Achashverosh and thinking all sorts of thoughts, including various stratagems. But at a deeper level, she was praying and in her imagination, certainly, she was facing the Beis Hamikdosh. Nochach, opposite. Kumironi Shivchi Chamayim Nochach The Posuk in Echo rings out to us. Nochach, Nochach Beis Hamelech, Nochach Pnei Hashem. And her prayer is answered. When the king sees Esther standing there in the courtyard, she appeals to him. She finds favor in his eyes. He extends to her the golden scepter, the golden rod in his hand. Vatikrav Esther, Esther comes closer, Vatiga Berosh Hasharvit, and she touches 
the scepter. And the king says to her, what is it, Esther? What has brought you here? Remember, she's risked her life to do this. He realizes that. So he says, what on earth could have possessed you to make you come here? You must want something very special. I will give you anything you want up until half the kingdom. This posuk is read different ways by different Megillah readers. I learned from my teacher to read this in a hurried fashion. To reflect the king's astonishment. The king is, is just stunned. What could this be to bring this woman to risk everything, knowing that I could very well have sentenced her to death. There must be something extremely, extremely important here. And therefore he's frightened, wondering what can it be. What is this majesty, these majestic clothes with which Esther clothed herself, with which Esther dressed, Vatilbash Esther Malchus. The Medri says that she wore the Malchus base of Viha. She clothed herself with the royalty, with the majesty of her ancestors. The Torah Tumimo explains, she clothed herself with the majesty of her ancestor Shaul the king. And just like Shoal was given the charge of destroying Amalek, now she put on herself this charge, the charge of destroying Amalek, in her case, Homon. She, Tilbash Esther Malchus, imagine the transformation. For three days she is fasting, fasting along with Naaroseho, with her maidservants, fasting along with Kol HaYehudi Masher Bashushon and fasting for three days, day and night. And now she transforms herself. She puts aside the fasting, puts aside the sackcloth, and puts on the majestic pride of her ancestors, Malchus Yisrael, kingdom. Now she's no longer a captive She's no longer an unfortunate person. She's no longer an alien. But rather, she stands proudly, victoriously, courageously. She puts on the clothing of our ancestors who were kings, King Shaul. One must imagine at this point, writes Horav Bachrach, what was going through Achashverosh's mind as he wondered why is Esther risking her life to come to him now uninvited? Could it be he might be saying to himself that she's coming to tell him about another assassination plot? Because just recently she came to him and told him about big son Voseresh who were trying to kill him. Perhaps again she's coming with yet another plot to kill me. 
That's how frightened he is. Or he wonders, perhaps she's finally decided to tell me her secret, the secret which she refuses to tell me, namely, es amor es moladoteho, es who she is, what her origins are, what is her national identity. And it is out of this combination of so many thoughts going through his mind, wondering, worrying, puzzled, mystified, that the king says to her, okay, whatever you want, ad chatsi hamalchus. And Esther answers him with a very puzzling answer. Instead of asking for what she wanted, namely that her people be spared, Esther says, If it pleases the king, let the king and Homon come today to a mishteh, to a feast, which I have made for him. For whom? For the king? For Homon? Again, the king has got to be puzzled. What is going on here? What type of a party is, is, is she planning? Is this also a plot against me? Has my Queen Esther kind of joined hands with my trusted Viceroy Haman? And are they going to do me in? Am I risking my life by attending this feast? This is what is going through the mind of Ahasuerus. But we must ask ourselves, what is going through the mind of Esther? Why on earth would at this point she say, okay, come to a party? What's the purpose of a party? Why doesn't she simply take advantage of the king's willingness to give her anything she wants? If we study the Gemara Meseches Megillah, Daf Tesvovo Medbeis, we will find answers to the question of what Esther was thinking, why she resorted to this party at this time. And we will find not one, not two, not five, not ten, but fourteen different answers proposed by a, 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 a dazzling array of Tanoim and Amoroim. And I'm just going to pick some of the fourteen. And if you want, you can yourselves consult this Gemara, the passage in Meseches Megillah Dav Tesvov, Omed Beis 15b. Maro why on earth did Esther invite Haman now to a party? Rabbi Eliezer says, to set a trap for him. Rabbi Meir says, so that he would be caught off guard. Wouldn't realize what's, what's, what's happening. Rabbi Nechemia says, very important. Kadei shelo yomru Yisroel. So that the Jewish people should not say, we don't have to pray. We have a sister, we have protectia in the palace. We have a sister by the king. And they will stop praying. Think about it. What must have been the reaction of the people when they heard that Esther was indeed successful? She came into the king's palace and she was not turned away. Just the opposite, she was welcomed. And the king offered her anything she wanted. And what did she do? She threw a party for the king and for Haman. The Haman was out to kill us. The people must have been, to say the least, bitterly disappointed. They probably felt betrayed and said, Oh, 
Esther is indeed a traitorous woman. She's turning us in. She's allying herself and partying with our enemy, with Oman. Esther wanted intentionally that they should have this reaction. She wasn't concerned with her own reputation. She was concerned that the Jewish people should pray and realize that it's upon God whom they have to rely and not upon the sister that they have in the king's house. This is Rab Nechemia's reason why she threw this party at this point. Rav Yoshua ben Korcho gives an astounding reason. She says, I'm going to show favor to Homon. This way the king will suspect me and Homon of having an affair or of plotting against him. And then the king will kill me, fine, I'm willing to die, and him and Homon. <laughs> In the words of Rashi, the king will suspect me of of adultery and the king will therefore kill me and him and if they kill him the gezerah is over this is Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha he sees the willingness of Esther to die on behalf of her people just to bring down Haman Tomus nafshi im pelishtim I'll die as long as the enemy dies along with me. And the Gemara goes on, of course, to list numerous other reasons. And the Gemara concludes, Ashkechei Rabba Baravul Eliyahu. One day, Rabba Baravua met no one less than Eliyahu Hanovi. And Rabba Baravua said to Eliyahu, we know Esther broke through this party. We don't know why. We have reasons given by Tanoim, like Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shua, and Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda. And by Amoroim, like Rabbo, and Abaye, and Rova. Who's right? And Elio answers, You're all right. All these reasons play into the picture. By the way, we see here, if uh, a whole passage in the Gemara, all the major Tanoim and Amoroim voice opinions as to why Esther did this and why Esther did that, obviously they were sitting and studying the Megillah, and they were darshaning the Megillah. And we can see, as Rav Bachrach puts it, from here we see how precious this Megillah was to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha and to Rav and Abaya. The story of Megillah's Esther is not just a story, it is Torah itself. One can darshan it, one can expound it, just as one expounds Parshas Mishpotim or Parshas from Eliyahu's response, we can become wise and know something which is very important. Sometimes there is no one right answer. Because people can have two right answers or more right answers and somehow none of them is the decisive right answer. 
Yavo HaMelech V'Homon Hayom. Esther said, let the king and Homon come today. I want you to focus on those four words in Posuk Dalet. Yavo HaMelech V'Homon Hayom. And see the first letters of those four words. Yud, Yavo, Hey HaMelech, Vov V'Homon, Hey Hayom. Yud, Hey, and Vov, Hey. Maharalmi Prague picks up on this. God's name is in those four words. Let the king and Haman come today. Maharal writes, Ki Hashem Ham Yuchod Gam Kein Yovo. She's inviting not just Achashverosh and Haman. She is inviting God Himself to this feast. Viyilochem Keneged Haman Shehumizera Amolek so that God can do battle against Homon, who is from Hamolik. Ki ein Hashem sholem ad zera Amolik. The name of God is not complete. The yud and the vov are not joined together unless Amolik has his downfall. So she summons God too. And she invites the king, and the king says, Posuk This king does everything impulsively, impetuously, quickly, without thinking. Quickly, he says, Maru, quickly. Summon Haman to do what Esther wishes. And right then and there, Come, El Asher Esther, to the feast which Esther made. Vanessa says to her at that party, that feast of wine. Again, What do you want? What do you wish? What's your request? Ask me for half the kingdom and I'll give it to you. And Esther answers and says, Famous melody. This is my request. This is what I want. And she slowly, slowly, almost tantalizingly, before she gets to the point, never gets to the point. If I find favor in the eyes of the king, and the king really wants to do what I ask. And to do my request, to grant my favor. May the king and Homan come again to another feast, which I will make for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king wants and express What on earth is she doing? Why is she stalling? And notice, if the king was not jealous and upset and suspicious enough at the first party, where she said in Posuk Dalit, this is a feast, a feast which I made for him, presumably for you, for the king. Here she says, more daringly, come to the party, this party I'm not making for the king with Haman as a guest. This party I'm making for you and the, you, Mr. King and Haman. Wow, she's really tempting faith now. She's really tempting faith. Why would she do this? Why a second, a second party? 
Again, many reasons are given. How insightful is the reason given by the Ibn Ezra? Well, if he dat, he writes the Ibn Ezra, it's my opinion. She'icharo Esther l'daber b'yom horishom mishtahayayin. Esther delayed speaking at the first opportunity, at the first party. Pa'avur she'loroas ha'shum os. She saw nothing happening. She planned a party, the party came off, there was nothing going on, nothing in the news, no hints of any change in the situation. No hint, Shechidesh Hashem Ba'avur Tainis Yisroel. No hint of any heavenly response to the Jewish people's prayers, to their fasting. V'cha'asher os gobayom hasheni, devar gedulas Mordechai chizak libo. The second time, the second party, then things were, as we will see, a changed situation. Mordechai was on the upswing, things were happening, and, of course, then she could express what she wished. There was a deep, deep underlying reason why she asked for a party tomorrow. Umochor, and tomorrow I will do what the king wishes. There's something about tomorrow. Yalkut, Yalkut Shimoni. Why is Esther putting things off for mochor, for tomorrow? Elo yodo she knew, says the Yalkut, Shezaro shalamolek limudim lipol lemochor. That Amalek's downfall is never today. It is tomorrow. When Moshe waged war against Amalek at the end of Parshas Bishalach, the Pasuk says, V'tsei, Moshe says, V'tsei hi bo Amalek. Go out, Yoshua, and wage war against Amalek. Mochor, tomorrow. Anini al I'm going to stand on the hill and pray. And Shoal too, when he has to wage war against Amalek, Shmuel Alof, Perik Tes, Pasuk Tezayin, says, Ke'es mochor eshlache lecho ish me'eretz binyomen. Tomorrow. And Esther too, umochor e'ese. Tomorrow. Amalek's downfall comes tomorrow. And she knew that. And therefore, not today. Not time yet for Amalek's downfall. Mochor, mochor, tomorrow. Vayetze homon bayom hahuso meach betov leiv. Homon hears this, another party. He's on top of the world. He is as happy as can be. He's happy with the kavod that the king and queen gave him. And with the knowledge, quote, knowledge, end quote, that the queen this has got something for him. The queen is somehow doing, throwing parties for his benefit. Little does she know. Tehillim kapitel samachtes yehi shulchonom lifnehem lepach that this shulchon, this party table, is really a pach, a trap. So Homan is just full of pride and full of confidence and certain that everything is going his way. And lo and behold, Vichiros Homan es Mordechai Bishar HaMelech. Again, Homan passes the king's gate, the judiciary, the supreme court. 
and Mordechai is there, Velo come, velo zomi menu. And Mordechai doesn't stand, doesn't even move to show any deference for Homon. And Homon is just beside himself with anger against Mordechai. It's fascinating. Here is a person who has every reason to be happy, but, as we will later learn, all that's going well for him means nothing as long as there's one person out there who does not bow to him. Fascinating, fascinating insight. It's so true of so many people. They have every reason to be so but if there's one person out there, and their whole being is disturbed, so disturbed that they run home to their wife and to their family. So he came home. He gathered together his best friends and his wife, Zeresh. First time we are introduced to his wife. And he tells them all the good news, his wealth and his large family and the king, his appointed him to power and the king has raised him above all the other ministers and all the other servants and more than that not only that but the queen Esther Hamalka when she has a throws a party for the king she invites me too and not only that and I am called again invited again tomorrow all this, just a list of wonderful things. It's all not worth it. Not worth a darn. Every time I see that Jew boy sitting in the king's gates, it just disturbs me no end and nothing means anything to me. Notice, he doesn't tell he doesn't tell his friends and his wife. Not that Homan, that Mordechai is sitting in the, in, in the Supreme Court bench. He doesn't tell them the truth. That Mordechai refuses to bow before me. That he doesn't even move in deference to me. He's not going to say that. He's afraid to, he's embarrassed to tell that to his Zeresh. Instead he tells her, I just can't stand the fact that he's on the Supreme Court. Yosheh Bishar HaMelech. And so he asks for their counsel and we wonder, why does Haman have to ask advice from Zeresh and from this, this group of Ohavov of his friends? It doesn't, can he think himself of what he wants to do to Mordechai? Why does he need an Eitzetoiva from Zayn Rebetzin? Why? Fascinating. He's afraid. He's afraid of Mordechai. He's afraid of Mordechai for many reasons. Chazal have legend behind legend, story behind story that we don't find explicitly in the Megillus Esther about a prior relationship between Mordechai and Haman and how essentially Haman sold himself for a loaf of bread to Mordechai as a slave. All of that's in the background and we won't go into it here. But at the simplest level, 
Haman is afraid to take on Mordechai because Mordechai is the one who told the king about Bixon Voseresh. One day the king's going to wake up and remember that Mordechai is a hero. And therefore Haman is afraid, he's afraid to start up with Mordechai. But today he feels differently. And he comes back to Zeresh and says, you know, I have every reason to believe that I no longer need fear Mordechai. Why? Because Esther, who then was on Mordechai's side, Esther was the one who told the king Mordechai's information, Mordechai's intelligence about Big Son Voseresh. But now the queen is on my side. The words of Medrash Esther Rabbo. V'kevon sh'ochlu v'shosu omor homon ha-melech megadel osi. V'yishto mechabedes osi. V'yein b'chol ha-malchus gadol mimeni. Now the time is ripe. Now Mordechai, no matter what, the king won't give two cents for Mordechai. Now it's me, it's my upswing. I'm on top. And therefore I can take a chance against this this Mordechai. And so he swings into action and he listens this time to the advice of his wife and his friends. The last climactic posuk of this dramatic, dramatic chapter. And she said to him, she and all the, his friends. Notice, Vatomer is in the singular. She said to him, the Oavov was secondary. Make a tree, make a pole, a gallows, 50 amos high. Now, 50 amos is very, very high. You figure an amma to be roughly a foot and a half. That's 75 feet. That's a tall gallows. Tomorrow morning, tell the king. And let them hang Mordechai on that eights. Then tomorrow in the afternoon or evening, you can come to the king happy. No more Mordechai. And indeed, Haman liked the idea, and he, by Ya'as, he made this pole, this tree, this gallows. Why a gallows? Aren't there other ways to do Mordechai? In the Alkut says, That person who said, hang him on a tree, hang him from an eighth. Why an eighth? Elo Omar, that person thought, God can save Mordechai from all sorts of other things. Because after all, He saved Avram from the fire. He saved Yitzchok from the Akedo. As Yaakov min Hamalach, he saved Yaakov from the angel. As Moshe Micherev Paro, he saved Moshe from Paro's sword. As Yisroel min Hayam, he saved the Jewish people from the sea. As Doniel Migovo Arroyos, he saved Doniel from the lions then. Umin Hoetz, Eino Yochola Hatzil. Never do we find that God saved a person from the gallows. So we're going to try this way. The gallows. The Malbim here says something so beautiful. Why a tree or a gallows, a lot pole, and why 50 Amosai? Why 50 Amosai? Other Mephorshim say 50 Amosai so that everybody could see even from a great distance. 
The Malbim says, He wanted Mordechai to hang from the top of that tree, to have Mordechai's corpse hang from that tree for a long time. And therefore, they gave him an Eitzah that the tree should be 50 Amosai. Because the Halacha says that when you have a Nevelo or a, 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 a grave or a busaki, a tanner or anything which has a foul smell, Marchikin Minhoir Chamishim Amo. The Halacha is that something which smells foul should be distanced from where people live 50 amos. And that halacha, of course, reflects the understanding that the odor, the stench of a rotting, decaying, decomposing corpse doesn't spread more than 50 amos. So that's why the tree was so high, so that Mordechai's nevela could could hang from that tree for days and weeks and nobody would smell the decomposing body. These are the thoughts of these Roshoi. And notice Vayas Oetz, who made the tree? Vayas in the singular, he, Homon, made the tree. The al has a beautiful commentary on Megillah Esther, I don't think I've quoted it yet, says, Hu ba'atzmo, shehasino mikalkeles es hashuro. When the person hates strongly, everything is by the wayside. This is Haman, the great viceroy. You would think if he has to make an eight, he'd hire a carpenter, he'd get some assistant to do it. No, he does it himself. Hatred makes him forget his prestige, makes him forget his position. He himself makes the eights. But there's also a medrash that says, uh, attributes his vayaso eights, not to Haman, but to various others, including this fascinating medrash. Yeshomrim says the medrash like Achtov, Parshandoso, Bino, later we will read the names of the ten sons of Haman, and one's name was Parshandoso. And this Parshandoso says the Medrash Hoya Hegmon Bikudonia. He was a prince, a governor in a distant province called Kodonia, which is where Mount Arorot is. And this Parshandoso brought a fifty ama long beam from the Teva, from Noach's Ark. He went to bring the 50 amma long, uh, that's how long the Teva was, 50 amma long eights from the Teva. This reflects, takes us back to a very uh, fascinating um, Mama Chazal, Meseches Chulin. The Gemara says, "Minayin lahomon min haTorah." Where do we find some hint of homon in the Torah? After all, the Torah, everything is in the Torah. Where is homon in the Torah? And the Gemara says, because the pasuk says back in the Parshas Bereishis, Perikimul pasuk Yudalef, when God encounters man. After man has sinned and eaten the tree. And God says to him, Who told you you were naked? 
Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat therefrom? Hamin ho'etz. Rosha Hamin Homon Ho'etz. Homon, the symbol of Homon, is this eitz, this tall tree, this tall pole, which he wishes to hang Mordechai on. In the words of Rav Bachrach, Mimei Bereshis Mishucha Eivot Zosha Bein Homon Uvein Mordechai. This hatred between Homon and Mordechai is not something new in history. It is a primeval hatred. It goes back to the beginnings of time, to Adam himself. Miyom From that old tree, ancient tree, primeval tree, which separated, the, which institute through which the curse, which separated good from evil, life from death. That's how far back. This hatred goes to the origins of the cosmos. Unisonom nemilchomo midor dor. And made this everlasting war between the serpent and mankind. Hu yishuf chorosh v'yatot yishufenu okev. Ki homon right rav bachrach. Mizera amoleku. Go back in history. Haman goes back to Agog. Agog goes back to Amolek. Amolek goes back to that dirt, that foul, foul element at the beginning of the story of the world, which is to be found in the serpent. So it's not just a battle between Homon and Mordechai going on now with this eights. This eights reflects the ancient battle between man and sin, between man and this, the primeval serpent, the Nochash HaKadmoni. We're really into something now. The story has depth beyond depth beyond depth, and we just have to look in Chazal and Panda and realize that although the story at the surface level is fascinating and exciting and inspiring, is something much deeper, deeper going on, and so too it is with all of history. All of history is complicated, it's exciting, it's confusing. God is not apparent. What's happening is not apparent. But there's something profound going on beneath the surface, and that something takes us all the way back to the very beginnings of time, to the origins of the universe. And so we conclude. Perek Hey of Mikilas Esther.